Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to Socks on Tap. Tony, I, my first reaction is just fuck yes, let's go. Socks versus Detroit. That's that's where it all starts. It all starts taking care of business in house in the Central Division. That's right. I'm a meatball. You got to bring that top button swag, baby. It is always great to beat the Cubs. And I'm a homer, so I always say they're gonna. Dallas Keiko Lampson got some beards that you should be afraid of. What everybody said when he gets out there, it's me versus the other guy, and I'm gonna beat him. So I just love that mentality. It's cool and fucking tough. Steve, Steve, would you say that Tony is mad online? I, I would definitely say that. The White Sox winner. Hello, White Sox fans, and welcome in to another losing edition of the Sox on Tap postgame show. It's Tony on Tap and NWI Steve. Steve's probably feeling a little bit sad tonight. White Sox loss. I'm feeling sad, too. We've got misery beers. It's Tuesday night. We are past that midway point of August, and things are looking pretty ugly. We're going to talk about it. Socks on tap. Follow us on twitter.com at socks on tap. Follow the parent site at on tap sportsnet. You can find Steve over at NWI underscore Steve and myself at Tony on tap. We're going to get into just how sad this was. We've got sad Steve in the house. He's a big project Birmingham uh, fan. We'll talk a little bit about that because we didn't get a chance to talk about it yesterday. We were not with you, but we're back tonight. Steve, I'm just going to give you the floor here. I've got some beer work to do. Hey, yo. Let me ask you this question, Anthony, and I'll ask our listeners this as well. If you turn the calendar back to late June when Baltimore came into town and took two out of three, or excuse me, took three out of four at the corner of 35th and Shields back when we all thought that they were just a punching bag and a soft spot on the schedule. And if we just replayed one of the post-game shows from one of those games with tonight, would anybody be able to tell the fucking difference at this point? I mean, Steve, I feel like we've been doing this show over and over again. It's like we're stuck in fucking Groundhog Day. And we do this all the time. And, and even the wins kind of feel very Groundhog Day. They feel ass. dirty. They feel fucking dirty. I don't think they feel dirty. They feel good. A lot you, need of to, you need to get through dirty. you need to get through things like this. But okay, I, I can I can appreciate where you say they feel dirty because you just want them to lose all the time. I know where that's I know fair. where you're See, at. That's that I'm gonna stop you right there. Nobody Nobody wants this team to win more than I do because this team, for whatever the reason, impacts my mood on a day-to-day basis far more than it really should. And I will put this on record as saying that this has been the most miserable season of White Sox baseball of my adult life, and it is fucking destroying me. It has ruined my fucking summer to the point where I have just been a miserable human being. So hashtag confirmed. Yeah. So this notion that I'm happy about this, I will push back against that vehemently because my God, this fucking team makes me want to put a hole in the fucking wall. You, you are visibly upset and I am perturbed. That's fair. That's fair. fair. It's, it's, it's so unfortunate, Steve. And I, I want to say it's really unfortunate because I wanted to have fun with you this summer talking about this team. So did I. And the hashtag sad Steve vibes are just 
I mean, they're they're just sometimes they take me down just a little bit. I mean, I go on the Twitter timeline and I see how it's over you are, and it just it it, it breaks my heart a little bit, Steve. Listen, it, at this it point, breaks my fucking heart to see you this sad. At this point, Anthony, it's all about Project Birmingham. Things went very well down there in, in the first act of, of Project Birmingham tonight. Last I saw, they were up 11 to 5. Sean Burke threw the ball very well. Colson Montgomery picked up right where he left off, got, got his first hit down there. Brian Ramos had had a pair of hits. Oscar Colas hitting. Yoelki Cespedes hit a bomb. Up and down the lineup, the guys were getting the job done. So Project Beham is off to a big start. And, and let the record show, I am a long time Project Beham guy. Steve, and, Steve you, know, you, you are in at the start of this. I, I mean, I, am. If, I was on the ground floor. You were on the ground floor. I mean, if if Project Beham is like you're a T-shirt. If if Project Beham goes anything like Dogecoin, I think you're going to make out just well. Our guy sales in the in the comments. What's going on, Sale? Socks were more fun when we expected them to be had. Steve's giving you a little content preview of what it's going to be like when we launch Barons on Tap, and then wow, he's he's in there. Barons on tap. We've got socks and uh, socks insane going off. Project Beham on tap. Maybe we'll have to make this work. All right. We might well, have to well, make something on. like this okay, work. Okay. Well, here's here's what we're here's what we're gonna do. Then we're gonna hit the way back machine because you know I, I'm gonna be honest. I don't really want to talk a lot about this game tonight. So we're gonna hit the way back machine here. 2018 during the heart of of the rebuild. I ventured down to Birmingham, Alabama. Roll damn tide. Yes, I willingly took a weekend trip to Birmingham, Alabama. Okay. It happened. I went down there and I actually saw Dylan Cease pitch down in Birmingham. I'd like I saw to take him. a trip. To, why, are you, why are you shitting all over Birmingham right now? Because it's Alabama. But that's where our, our beloved okay. Birmingham Barons come from. Here's what, here's what I, here's what we can't get to. We can't get to Barons on tap unless we, except that Birmingham, Alabama is a destination that we want to go to. So we're trying to get our marketing right. Trying to get our marketing right here. Let me give some let me give some good endorsements here. Regions Field, yes. top notch, top notch facility right go. there. Right across the street from it, there's there's a uh, brewery. Um I can't remember what the name of it is. I think it's something dog related because people were just sitting in there with with all kinds of dogs and it's very pet You're friendly. You're a big dog guy. I, I am a big dog guy. Listen, everybody knows. Listen, me, me and Hosa Marchese, we have a connection. We have a bond. It's unspoken. Yes. Okay. Yes. Hosa's a good boy. He's, for, a, for, he's, a, he's a good boy. Yeah. For for our listeners who who don't know, Hosa Marchese, that's my guy. Okay. We speak to each other. All right. Very, very much so. And so when I went down to Birmingham in July of 2018, I, you know. Saturday night game, happened to go to the brewery, got there about one o'clock for a six o'clock game. Um, you know, dad and nephew just didn't want to partake in any festivities and everything. They, they insisted on just staying at the hotel. And I said, fuck that noise. I'm going to go on. I'm going to get drunk. So I did. And I was just sampling a lot of the local, uh, you know, craft options that were that were made available. And again, the great thing is the brewery, literally, all you have to do is walk right across the street. And you're in Regents Park. So it's great for me from a logistical standpoint. 
So I'm sampling beverages. I'm having a good time. I'm talking to the townsfolk. A lot of lot of Atlanta Braves fan. You're really in Braves territory down there. Um, but just just overall, just a general good time. You know, we're, we're pretty friendly people overall. And as I'm just partaking in the various different beverages that they have, I'm not really paying attention to the alcohol content associated with them. I go back up to the bar at one point and then I see a menu just chilling there on the bar. And I take a look and I start seeing some of the ABVs associated with these beverages that I've been partaking in. One of which I had had a couple of at about 10 and a half percent. That's always a great strategy. So it was, it was bold. It was a bold strategy. So at this point I'm thinking I'm about, you know, several deep at that point. Um, you know, scholars maintain that the count was stopped relatively early on there, but anyways, get into it then. And, uh, you know, sitting on the couch, having a conversation with, with, uh, with a gentleman, uh, who drove in from Georgia that day. And, uh, I go to try to get up off the couch and I proceeded to then take a spill backwards because, well, it all hit me at the same time and then decided, Hey, you know what? We're going to go We're going to shut it down. We're going to walk across the street to the park, get in there. Dad and, and my nephew, who at the time was 11, just looked at each other, smirked and said, yep. Steve's travel blog is more interesting than this White Sox team. I, I Steve, if the White Sox aren't going to be interesting down the stretch, can we get a Steve's travel blog that's going on there. I think we we talked a little bit about the Field of Dreams experience. We've talked about this. We I know you've had about, some. We want to talk about the fifty-two hour bender I had in Dallas two weeks ago. I mean, the, Steve's travel blog might be coming on Tap Sportsnet and written content form. If if we've got we we need the views, you know, we need the views. We just partnered with uh, Sports Illustrated the other day. Uh, if you didn't see that announcement, I think that's the first time we've talked about this on the show. Steve's travel blog brought to you by sports illustrated. That'll be something. That'd be fantastic. Steve's white Sox travel blog might have to put that one behind a paywall. Uh, Steve, I know you said you didn't want to talk about this game, but I want to do, uh, I do want to get to just a few little intricacies of tonight's ball game. Cause there's some white Sox news that we're, required to give out to people who tune into this show and listen Dylan Cease early on in this game Steve I thought he was getting squeezed just a little bit I wasn't surprised that he gave up uh that long ball in the first inning uh what was going on with Cease today that was not the uh not the Dylan Cease that we're used to seeing Okay, so it's interesting because Stephen Stone had actually talked about this on the broadcast and had mentioned just some of the conversation that took place between Cease and Andrew Vaughn and Gavin Sheets in the clubhouse prior to the game, talking about the extended layoff and the impact that it would have on it. And I think Cease was very accurate in his assessment. And this is something that I talked about with Michael Kopech in particular at a couple of points earlier on in the season in that it was going to go one of two ways. Either he was going to come out completely fresh and just everything was going to be crisp and popping or the command wasn't going to be there. Well, that first time we saw it, the command was not there. You're right in your assessment that he was squeezed on a couple of different occasions there, but he simply was getting squeezed largely because he wasn't able to command his pitches within the strike zone to get ahead and counts. Obviously, we've seen enough that when you do that, 
Um, and Dylan Cease is still a relatively young pitcher, although he's had an outstanding season to this point. He's not yet at the point like a Justin Verlander or a Max Scherzer where he's going to go ahead and get those calls with consistency if he doesn't have his pinpoint command. So he was hurt by that. Um, ultimately, though, just falling behind in too many accounts in that first inning, throwing too many pitches, and Ryan Mountcastle got him, and that was a big problem. Yeah, and Steve, I'm just going with the fact that he was squeezed on a couple of calls here. I do want to say that my evaluation of early Dylan Cease in this ballgame is very similar to yours. Unable to get that first pitch strike, which you've very, very, so many times. I've talked about it two, three times. It's, it's, it's just like the, the thing you've probably talked about the most on the show when we talk about pitching is the importance of the first pitch strike. He was unable to get those. And on top of that, it felt like his swing and miss stuff wasn't generating swing and miss stuff. And my initial thought to this, Steve, was do the Baltimore Orioles kind of have the scouting report on how to deal with Dylan Cease? Because if you've got an umpire that's that's not being very generous – in terms of a couple of strikes, and it, it kind of expanded as the game went on. But early on, that strike zone was very tight. Dylan Cease wasn't able to put anything over first pitch, try to generate something, swing and miss, second pitch, and you're down 2-0. That's what I felt over and over again, and that just spells trouble for any pitcher, even a guy who's had an incredible year like Dylan Cease. No, you're spot on. The fact of the matter is, at the major league level against any team, let alone a good team and one that is building confidence the way that the Baltimore Orioles are, you can't pitch 2-0-2-1 to them with regularity and live to talk about it very frequently. And what's really strange what you say there, and I want to stop you, a team that's built like the Baltimore Orioles. When we talked about, you know, murderers row, the 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 you know, beat down opponents who are lesser than you. I do not consider the Baltimore Orioles to be a slouch in Major League Baseball right now. They've been a very good team, and I think that putting some respect on that name, sort of Steve here with the 100%. Baltimore Orioles, I want to put some respect on the Baltimore Orioles here because they they played a good baseball game against the Chicago White Sox. If you look at this uh, from the outside picture here, they are a good baseball team. They've been playing very good baseball, and that's – I, I thought their plate approach tonight is something that I'd love to see the White Sox replicate just once, just once. Here's here's what I here's what I will say to that, and I think there's a lot of parallels here between the 2022 Orioles and the 2015 Houston Astros because that was an Astros team that very similar to that had three consecutive hundred loss seasons leading up to that had a rich farm system was starting to bring up their their young young talent. That was the year Carlos Correa made his major league debut at the corner of 35th and Shields while Chris Sale was on the mound and the Blackhawks were playing in the Stanley Cup Finals. I remember I was at that game that night when it happened. Hashtag so, Blackhawks. Pour one out for him. RIP, IP. Um, so there are some significant parallels there. And what's also fascinating, though, is the architect of this Orioles team, Mike Elias and Sig Megdahl, they're the two guys that are running the Baltimore Orioles front office. So the blueprint that they established in Houston is going to be a very similar one to what you see in Baltimore. Now, kind of similar to that 2015 team, 
they have a lot of swing and miss and a lot of strikeout in their game. And that was one of the areas that that Houston core corrected ultimately um, going into the 2017 season when they won that, you know, bullshit World Series and the sustained period of success that they have had since then is they've been one of the lowest strikeout teams in the league here. So it's going to be fascinating to see if this Orioles group kind of follows the same trajectory and the same path that that Houston team followed about, you know, seven, eight years ago. It will be, it will be interesting to see that Steve. And I'm, I mean, for, for, for a guy that's not too invested in the AL East, I hate the Yankees. I'd like to see the Orioles have a little bit of success out there. Steve. They're gonna like, be, I'm telling you, they're going to be fucking nasty next year because they only have $13 million committed in payroll uh, before you get to arbitration. Imagine being in that position. I. It will not shock me if you see Carlos Correa and Carlos Rodon pitching in Crab City next year. It's going to be really wild to see what they do with this. I mean, there's there's so much room to work. I might have to bring an Orioles guy on here at some point to talk about this. I've got an Orioles friend, Steve. I've got, an or- I've got an Orioles guy. You got an Orioles actually friend? had on the show before, Mr. Dan Zaborski. He's an Orioles fan? I didn't he, know that. He's an Orioles I guy. I didn't yeah. know that. Maybe we'll have to get our Orioles friends together and, and talk about uh, the future of the Baltimore Orioles versus the White Sox rebuild that we've uh Do we have to do it in that context? We can, or we I can make we it more can. fun. I know we can, but do we want to? I, I'm kind of curious to see the the differences. The differences as to how this the went. difference is one organization has smart people. Oh, well, I mean, to be determined, I guess. Because I, I was told earlier today that we were going to talk about Jose Abreu after some celebrations in October. Uh, I think that conversation has a much different context than uh, what was presented. Well, to be determined. Let's get back to the ball game, Steve. Let's get back to the ball game. White Sox got out early in this one, and it was it was promising. Mr. Eloy Jimenez goes yard. Sox hadn't done that in a while. Steve, how were you feeling at the beginning of the game? I know we talked a little bit about Dylan Cease's first inning. Let's talk about our offense here for a second. I like home runs. I think that you and most of our loyal listeners know that I'm a big proponent of home runs. I don't like the as Earl Weaver would call these little fleas running around the bases, hitting their little slappy singles. I'm not a fan. I talk about it all the time. In the year of our Lord 2022, you win with three run homers. That's how you win baseball games. And I've been advocating for the White Sox to utilize that strategy more frequently. We got off to a positive start there in the first inning with Eloy. Um, you know, Luis Robert reached base um, to to get the get the party started a little bit, and then Eloy, nice piece of hitting going the other way, showing that opposite field power that he has. You're feeling you're feeling good. You're like, hey, okay, you know, get on the board here a little bit. Second home run they've hit in the last eight days. Maybe maybe the bats will turn around a little bit here. So that's kind of where we were at. And I, I I was there with you and everybody else. I thought they set the tone very well. Um, boy, has that come back to bite us in the ass? I, I feel like 
the whole set the tone thing really needs the uh, baseball images that preceded unfortunate events type treatment uh, this year. Uh, but that's here nor there. Um, and that's why I didn't want to lead with that because the set the tone field just hasn't been great. And uh, that's why we talked about Dylan Cease before we got that out of the way. We'll go through this ball game real quick. It's the same thing you've watched all year. Inability to produce runs with runners in scoring position. Can I can I break it down even even more simply than this for for you, Anthony? Sure, go ahead. Save the listeners some time. Two for thirteen with runners in scoring position. There you go. Your twenty twenty two White Sox, and that's really your ball game. But before we go any further, Steve, there's something that I have to say. We've got a listener who's very loyal to us, who comments about things all the time. And I feel like I, I'm a big superstition guy, right, Steve? You can't I be calling like, my guy Sal out right now. Like I'm not this, calling man. Sal out. Not calling Sal out. If I was calling Sal out, we would have led with this is Sal. I've I, I, I just got to say this. There's a guy who's in here all the time. I believe his name's Mike. And every time he tells me it's over, every time he tells me that the White Sox are not going to win, every time he tells me that the Sox are not going to score another run, they score another run. I feed off of that energy, Steve. You know I love to feed off of, of the energy. Sometimes I read your tweets and I want to throw my phone as far as I possibly fucking can. And and, and that's that's fantastic. I need more tweets from this Mike guy telling me that the Sox are done and that they're never going to do anything. I want to fix this team. So meatball take time. We need more negative energy. We need to be more negative. We need to say it's over. And then we need to be surprised with the results. I want to say that the, the uh, reverse psychology game that everybody's bringing to the table right now is not strong enough. We need to be stronger with it. I need to be stronger with the positivity. And maybe we can make some things happen here down the stretch. I don't know. It's only crazy if it doesn't work. But my boy Mike... Every time I see him reply to me on Twitter saying the Sox are not going to score another run, they score one when they're down two. So I need him to double down. Hey, they scored that run. They're not going to get another and get back. And then maybe it'll happen. So we're going half-ass right now, Steve. We need to be more full-on. If I'm hearing you correctly, Anthony, it sounds like Mike is the inverse of the hashtag Merc Jinx, which is sweeping Twitter.com by storm. The Merc Jinx is sweeping. The Merc Jinx is what the kids like to call generational. I think I I brought a Merc Jinx to you the other day via text message that I found for you. I forget what it was in context, but uh, I I really feel like it was the, the game starting. That's what it was. My brain's working a little bit slower. There's been a lot of Budweiser's. The White Sox depleted a lot of, of energy out of my brain to uh, watch them tonight. It was, it came to me a little bit slow, but it was the game starting. That's what it was. I've been at the, he had some very negative, sad Steve type tweets. I think you've surpassed negative Nani with hashtag sad Steve. We might need shirts. Listen, I'm all about merch. I'm all about uh, getting the paper as we like to say in the business, you know, if we have to make some new shirts, get some new memorabilia and some new merch out there for the people, 
we got to do it. We don't have a choice. Yeah, we 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 might need some Steve crying shirts. That'd be fun. Could you imagine so, walking into the ballpark and seeing a guy like White Sox sale there with the hashtag Sad Steve shirt? How would you react to that? I mean, if it's Sal, I'm just gonna throw one up to him because he knows what to do then in that situation. Because um, you know, Sal knows that when you're NWO, you're NWO for life. Appropriate answer. What if it was Kenwo? If it was Kenwo, my answer shirt. would be, "Hey, Ken, you fat fuck, got this for you." And that's it. That, that that see, it's a it's a double standard that was proven right here on Socks on Tap. Steve, Sox weren't able to pull this one out. You saw them trot out a bunch of different bullpen pieces. LaRusa said before the game that Jake Diekman wasn't going to be available. He ends up in this ball game. I would like to expand on this very point. I want to talk about this. I want to talk about this. And see, I took notes today. I took notes. I don't normally do that, but I took notes today. Big note taker guy. You are a big note taker guy. Oh, yeah, big note taker guy. I didn't know that. Oh yeah. Okay, yeah. let's me, hear me more and, about me and jo- me and Jonathan have had conversation about this very topic here. But uh, specifically as it relates to Jake Diekman, here's what I will say. So in the situation there, when um, you know they get the two outs, and Mateo is coming up, and Jake Diekman is pulled in favor of James Lambert who has been outstanding this year in his role. Our guy Sox Insane is a big Jimmy Lambert I'm a guy. I'm a big James Lambert guy myself. Big James Lambert guy. We need cutscenes here because I love a Lamborghini sliding across the screen every time we talk about Jimmy Lambo. But what was fascinating to me was the decision to pull Diekman in that situation, knowing that Julio Mateo or Jorge Mateo is a reverse split guy that has more success against right-handers than left-handers. I would think that a Hall of Fame baseball person who is the smartest guy in the league and will tell you that he is would know that. But, you know, here we are. I just, I, I love, I love to hear the Tony LaRusso slander. I, I will continue it. to slander that old fuck until he is gone. I, I just love it because I, I view this completely differently, I feel like, and everybody can come after me. I don't I don't care. I feel like he manages the game on intuition, which is a little bit different than it's not 1982 anymore. That's the problem. We have information that allows you to make better decisions. That's fair. That's fair. And that's what I said. You can you can come at it with with stats and I, I I don't know. I, I feel like I've got a lot of different opinions on, on how this goes, just in how I view the game of baseball and how things are are supposed to be. I, I don't know. It's just expecting somebody to have that information right away. I feel like that's somewhat delegated and relationships with who that is delegated to are important. If that's Ethan Katz, if that's Miguel Cairo in all of these different situations and how they interact with Tony LaRusso, I think this is a lot deeper than just him. But at the end of the day, 
he's the one who should be held accountable for it, and that's fair. That's absolutely fair. I think he goes off of intuition. I think he does make his wrong calls. I think a lot of people make wrong calls uh, in their day-to-day life. At the end of the day, he's the one who's accountable for it, and you know that Jerry Reinsdorf adores Tony LaRussa for whatever reason. So, I don't know. I was just someone who has always looked at situations that are within my control versus ones that are not in my control. And Buzz wrote a great article today, Steve, and that's something that I want to get to. Do you want the White Sox to make the playoffs? Because there's been some really hot takes online that say that they want the White Sox to miss the playoffs so that Tony La Russa will go. And I'm looking at this. I'm looking at this right now and sitting here and thinking to myself, just because they missed the playoffs does not mean that Tony La Russa is going to be let go. So actively rooting for the Chicago White Sox to lose a bunch of games means nothing, especially when Rick Renteria was let go after the White Sox got bounced from the playoffs to bring in Tony La Russa. It's like we've forgotten the past. It all goes back to one person. It's his organization. He owns it. You have to root for the best with whatever is provided when you're invested in this team. And a lot of people are rooting for failure because they think it will bring change. It's a really hard place to be as a fan. My take on it is this. Um, Nothing would make me happier than to see this team go on an 11-game winning streak right now and take a stranglehold of this division and go to the playoffs for a third straight year because weird shit can happen in October. Ask the 2006 Cardinals. Ask the Braves last year who won the World Series without their best player. You get in, things can happen. Is the probability great that if this team got in that they would go on a magical run to the World Series? No, it's not. They're a very flawed team in a number of different ways. But the possibility is there. So the idea of actively rooting against this team, um, I don't subscribe to that. I never have. I sat through 2017 through 2019 so that I wouldn't have to be actively rooting for losses at this point. And to your point there, the idea that if this team didn't make the playoffs, that it would, you know, bring about change in the organization. At the end of the day, Tony LaRusso will manage this team as long as he wants to manage this team. I think that is pretty clear. So if they didn't make the postseason, I think it the likelihood of him stepping away would be increased, but it is by no means a guarantee. The same way that people feel about him, there are people that want this team to fail so that Rick Hahn gets fired, so that you know Chris Getz can be promoted to general manager. I'm not exactly sure what that will change. Um, I have some very strong opinions on Rick Hahn, and I think that if it were my organization, he would have been gone several years ago. I think his inability to figure out how to overcome the constraints that his bullshit owner places in front of him after being in the job for a decade is pretty bad. 
to be completely honest with you. So this notion that if they miss that these two guys are all of a sudden going to be out of a job and then what you're going to get Justin Jershley or Jim Tomey in the dugout with Chris gets at GM. How, how much of a change is that really going to bring? It's, it's not, it's, it's not going to bring the change that people are wanting. And that's why I don't understand actively rooting for the team to spontaneously combust into like the worst team you've ever watched down the stretch. They're going to continue to play 500 baseball. That's, that's my assessment here. If I'm sitting here right now, they're going to be as frustrating of a baseball team as you have watched from day one. You're hoping for luck. You're hoping for the, like the Minnesota twins and the Cleveland Guardians to fuck up so that you Minnesota's can... doing their best to make that happen, by the way. Yes, and you you need a little bit of White Sox luck here, which hasn't happened. And that's why you're mad. That's why you, you're frustrated. Because if things were going as they should, this team should have walked backwards into a playoff spot and been atop of the division by 10 games right now because it's bad news bears up and down this entire thing. The fact that the White Sox have had as much problems as they've had with the Kansas City Royals, with Minnesota, with Cleveland, with even Baltimore, who we just talked about being a a, a really good team right now. They're not a World Series contender by any means, but they play the game right. That's why people are frustrated at the manager. That's why people are frustrated with Frank Menachino. That's why people are frustrated with everything that they fucking see about this team. There's not a lot of positives to be had here. I've been probably the most fucking positive person about this team all goddamn year. I've probably annoyed you, Steve. I know I've annoyed a lot of other people. But the only reason that I'm positive about this team is because Literally, if everything else plays out the way that it should, the Sox should not have had a problem getting through this. And I will be the most immensely disappointed person mid-October when they're not playing. But up until right now, they're still in this race. They're still somehow here. And like you just said, and Buzz said earlier in his article that he wrote on Tap Sportsnet, you get into October, weird things fucking happen. But I don't think for a minute you're not going to be celebrating on Jackson if the Sox are somehow able to bring a trophy home. That's why I don't get why people... I will be running down the street without a fucking shirt on and my chest painted. But that's why I don't understand why people, when we're three games out, and I know you, you're, you're a huge carrier of it's already over. You're just trying to be real with yourself because you don't want to set yourself up for the disappointment. I understand that, but there are actively never get people, up for the letdown. Never get up for the letdown. That's fine. Always try and exceed expectations and then you can celebrate. I get that, but there are actually people right now that are hoping that this team loses so that they can be right. And that's wrong. That's absolutely wrong. You are just doing yourself more harm. If you think that way, I'm not trying to tell anybody how to fan, 
but I'm really worried about those people because you jump off that deep end and you actively root for your team to lose. It's just to try and take some joy. You're still tuning into games. Yeah. You've got no expectations for this team. Don't hold expectations, but don't actively root for them to lose thinking that there's going to be some magical wave that comes over this organization. That's what I'm trying to bring the realist attitude into this, Steve. Like the way I cope with it, I hope that they win every game. The way that you cope with it, you don't you don't expect them to do anything. You can cope with it however you want to, but don't actively go out there on Twitter, on Facebook, on YouTube, Snapchat, whatever text message to your friends. I hope they lose this game because I want to see change. I don't think that's coming. I just don't. And you look, you bring up a, a great point there about people on social media platforms wanting to be right. I've said this countless times. I've written a lot of things that I've been wrong about, and I will continue to write things that I will be wrong about. If me being wrong about an opinion or about a perspective that I have about a player or about this White Sox team in general means that it is good for the White Sox, me being wrong, I will take that every fucking day. Because as I said, this team impacts my mood far more than it should. When this team is playing well, let's go out there and let's kick somebody's fucking ass today. When this team is playing like they are right now, each day kind of is is just a little bit of a slog to battle through it. And there's less enthusiasm. I've talked about this with a number of different people. I, I can't recall if we've talked about this or not. This is the least joy that I've had going to the ballpark in any season in my adult life. Because in a lot of ways, with how bad they have played this year, particularly at home, it has almost felt like a chore at times. And it makes me fucking sick. Because in January, when it's 10 fucking degrees outside and there's six inches of snow on the ground, I'm going to look at the calendar and I'm going to say 92 days until opening day. And that here I am right now battling because... This is just so difficult to sit through right now. So the idea of me saying, I hope they lose today, that just doesn't resonate with me. Yeah, and that's that's exactly where I'm at right now. And a lot of people have made odes to, well, this team was more fun to watch in 2018 and all the I go back to expectations. The expectations by this organization were we're telling you that you probably would have had an uh, like a world series victory to be celebrating right now and on to your second try and chase it and, i've and been I've, I've been through the blackhawks three cups in six years thing steve people chicago fans know that that's possible because other organizations within the city have done that why do you think Cubs fans are so upset right now is because they felt cheated by the Blackhawks. Let's look at the recency bias in this city for two seconds. This was supposed to be 2020 through 2026. 
White Sox town. That's what we expected. And it's not. It's not right now. In fact, I would say Cubs fans on the other side of the city are having more fun than us playing meaningless baseball. And that's the problem. That's the real problem when you go and look at it. Because as as fans who tune into this and people who want to consume White Sox baseball every day, you want it to be fun. It's not fun right now. It's not. And to your point about expectations, I think that is a very accurate thing that isn't talked about enough or in the correct context. Because you go back and if you look at things like 2018, for example, you knew what you were watching. You knew what was important. Okay. The wins and losses, you knew they weren't going to be there. So you, the focus of that was the development and the progression of guys that were thought to be core pieces. Lucas Giolito, Ronaldo Lopez, Yoan Mancada, um, Michael Kopech at the end of that season when he came up. And then you had a fun, feel-good story and a guy like Daniel Polka. Like, hey, can maybe this guy be someone that comes out of nowhere? Because a lot of good teams – when you when you have a core group or when you have a championship group, you have to get one or two guys that come out of nowhere to be significant contributors. You know, that, that sort of stuff happens, and you need that. And so you're thinking, hey, can Daniel Polka be one of those guys? So you knew what to look for. Whereas this thing... It's all about the wins and losses right now. And when it's not there, when it's this constant helter-skelter yo-yo effect of, you know, you win two games here, then you're going to lose the next three. You're going to win one. You're going to lose two. You're going to win three. You're going to lose two. Just up and down, up and down, up and down constantly. And then the whole time you're just right here at that 500 level. We're 123 games into this thing. They're 62 and 61. This has been so mind-numbingly frustrating because aside from that seven-game winning streak that they had back in the first week of May, which, my God, that feels like it was four years ago at this point, this team has struggled to put together multiple games of clean, crisp, solid, fundamental baseball that make you feel good about things. Even that series against the Tigers when they got the sweep at home, and I was cautioning people, being like, hey, yeah, they won three games against a terrible team. But the fact of the matter is there was a lot of luck involved in that. That was not a clean series. There were not a lot of feel-good vibes surrounding it. And then you have the two come-from-behind wins against Houston. So you get this five-game winning streak. And again, you had a lot of opportunities there to break some of those games open, and you didn't. You got clutch hits late, but it wasn't like a scenario where you felt great about the overall quality of play. Yeah, it was emotional. I was at that game on the Tuesday night when they beat Justin Verlander a week ago, and the emotion in the crowd, there was a lot of positivity, and there was good juice in the crowd that night, and you're thinking, hey, maybe maybe this is the start of it here, and then it immediately reverted back. That's been the problem. 
Well, I would just I would just like to say that, you know, evaluating almost like the psychology aspect of this, there hasn't been a catalyst. There hasn't been a guy that's carried that energy the entire season. There John Cueto has. John Cueto has, but he wasn't here early. He wasn't here early. And I will say this, as much as John Cueto has, I think from a personality standpoint, Billy Hamilton did it better than John Cueto did last year. I mean, there's a reason the camera gets put on you. There's a reason that even when you're not on the active roster, you're in the dugout. Like I remember last year there was a ball that went into the dugout and Billy Hamilton like dived out of the way for it. And it was, it was a huge thing. Like, Oh, that's Billy Hamilton. And he's up there cheering for his team and bringing the good vibes. It sounds stupid because there's not a roster spot for Billy Hamilton on this white Sox roster right now. There's absolutely not. But do I wish that I had a guy like him on the team? Absolutely. Because he brought that energy, brought those vibes to the team last year that they just don't seemingly have right now. Tim Anderson is supposed to be your change the game guy, the face of the marketing of this organization. What's the best Tim Anderson moment you had this year? Yankee stadium, Sunday night baseball, him getting into it with no, no, that, that was the, that was the day before, but that Sunday night game when Kopech pitch and then Anderson hit the opposite field. Home you, run need, to ice you, that need, game. you need 10 to 15 times those moments. Right. For the team that to, to latch on to Tim Anderson, Jose Abreu, we've got people talking about when's August Abreu going to show up, and he's hit a bunch of singles. And you can debate back and forth all you want whether or not that's good enough. The fact of the matter is, there's not a lot of fun. There's not a lot of personality. It's dry. It it doesn't have what it takes for people to latch on to this White Sox team and the previous two, three versions, even back into the rebuild years had person. You you brought up Daniel Polka. Where's the personality from this team? Nobody's been able to latch on to anything this year. Where's Eloy looking into the camera saying hi to his mother. I don't think I, when is the last, honestly, seriously, when's the last time Eloy has said hi to his mother? I, I legit don't know. And and that's some that that's some shit that like I don't it, it, like exactly like agree with is the most important part of a baseball game. Let's be serious. Eloy saying hi to his mom in a season where we should be taking shit seriously isn't something that you would like want to see all the time. You're like, this is a shtick. What's he doing? But all of a sudden, when the guy's not being himself, what's going on here? That's where I've I've talked about this, and I said this at the start of spring training or, or in the middle part of the abbreviated spring training, and everybody was telling me that I was crazy when I was saying it, when I was tweeting about it, that something felt off with this group. Just the couple of games that I was watching in the I Cactus can't, League. Steve, and I, I'm sorry, we, you and I have texted about this a million fucking times. I can only go back and look to who is not here from last year because one of the major things that people said is Tony LaRusso is going to take the fun out of this team. There is plenty of observations that have been well-documented that last year was fun. The guys were having fun. 
What changed from 21 to 22? I can't put my finger on it at all. And it's not just like I can sit here and say all day that Billy Hamilton brought fun to the clubhouse. It's not just that. Something happened between 21 and 22. It's a stark difference between this team. We haven't broached this subject, but really, dude, there is a stark difference between where we were at the Field of Dreams game, the blackout game, some of the high moments of the 21 season to where we are now. The vibes just feel off. I don't know where that went. And that's where I feel like a lot of people have gone at Tony LaRusa for, for some of this. A lot of people have gone at TA, myself. A lot of people have gone after Jose Abreu on it, the leadership stuff. Frank Menachino was still the hidden coach last year. They managed to do a lot better. There's something that's not working the way that it did before. You're you're right, and like I said, it was unfortunately it was obvious to me early on, and it's one of those things that you can't quantify. It doesn't make sense because this is largely the same roster minus the likes of Billy Hamilton, minus Carlos Rodon, minus Brian Goodwin. So is it just simply are a matter- those guys really moving the needle, Steve? Carlos Rodon would. And 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 I'll and I'll t- and I'll tell you and I'll tell you this much, Brian Goodwin's production against right-handed pitching would help this team tremendously. Where is he at right now? He's not even in the league. That's what I was going to say. Where is he at right now? No idea. No idea. I mean, he I he's he's still on Twitter. I know that. You know, I still seem still seem tweeting. That's important. I'm glad he's. I'm glad he's still on Twitter. You know, he, he still got his uh, his profile pic of him. You know, throwing the bat up in the air that game against Cleveland when he hit the walk off that I was at. Um, that was a fun day. That was that was a lot of fun because I that was the day that you just knew that they were going to win this division and that Cleveland was fucked and it was great. I loved it. It was a Sunday afternoon. It was a beautiful day. I think I was at my guy Jake Trojan's house with Johnny. I mean, it, oh man, when it that was, went down. It was a. It was Pretty just. Sure a, it was. It was just a delightful, delightful day. We haven't had many of those this year, and it's and that's why the ballpark just hasn't been as fun. What do you got to do to get it back? I mean, it almost feels like it's it's the chicken versus the egg discussion that I think we've had 67 times on post-game shows throughout the course of this season here is what comes first, the fun or the winning, the winning or the fun. You know, I can't, I can't answer that because I've been on teams that were very clicky. And I know that term has been thrown around a lot about this team here this season. I've been on team. I've been on teams that have had that. And have been successful. Um, I've been on some notable teams that, you know, like I said, the clicks were so bad that there was a lot of distaste is the word I will use for guys in the, in the clubhouse and, and in the dugout. But we were successful. And then I've been on the flip side of it of guys that got along really well and we sucked. So 
it's just one of those things that just doesn't make sense. Figure and, it out. Figure yeah. it out. Doesn't matter. Figure it out. Yeah. Steve, we've got to close this one down. We're getting close to an hour on the uh on the old post game here. What do we got on tap for tomorrow? You got to pick the click. Um you know, I'm going to go ahead and see if uh if your baby boy Gavin Sheets is in the lineup. I think he's going to hit one for Pops and for the rest of the family that are there because as it's been documented, local product returning to Baltimore and everybody knows I love local products. I was just really happy that Steve Stone shouted out how hard I work with Gavin Sheets in the backyard uh, throughout the broadcast tonight. We might have to clip that. Uh, Brian, if you're listening, there's a couple of clips of uh, Gavin Sheets at bats that uh, we need. We need some Steve Stone and Jason Benetti uh, clips made uh, for how hard I work with uh, Gavin and how much I've provided to his career uh as steve has said he's my boy so uh i know you appreciated that steve while you're watching tonight's broadcast all the shout outs to the things that i've done for gavin sheets success i was really upset when andrew vaughn was pinch hitting for gavin sheets brian's in here i'll see what i can do yeah he he's listening right now this is fantastic I'm I'm just really happy that Steve Stone was was shouting out all the work that we've done together to help Gavin Sheets get the job done for the Chicago White Sox. I was in the first row, right behind Gavin Sheets while he took all those at bats. You saw me. I might need to change my name on Twitter to Larry Sheets. I was actually thinking about doing that today. Probably should have. It would have been good for the shtick here. Uh, but Steve. I love your pick to click. I might have to double down with you. I know it's against the rules, but I want to see Gavin Sheets go yard in Baltimore. And I think that there's just the perfect short porch in right field for him to do it. We didn't even get a chance to talk about all the left field home runs that could have been tonight, but we digress. Maybe we get to talk about more tomorrow. We'll be back. With socks on tap post game show. Steve, hit me with your final thoughts. Let's get out of here. It sucked. It's miserable. Start winning baseball games, please. For the love of all that is holy. For my sanity, if nothing else, do it for me. My final thoughts are if the White Sox do go on a run, I can't wait for Steve's profile picture on Twitter to not say it's over. I will personally make an edit that says we're back. And I want Steve to have the we're back in his profile photo. I it want probably, nothing more than it probably, to be hashtag. Back. It probably won't happen. See, we got to, we got to qualify these things. It probably won't happen, but it'll be the greatest thing that has ever happened in my life to see Steve have the we're back in black and white font in his profile photo. I'll be, I'll be so happy. I will be so happy. If there's one thing that this country loves, we'll be happy. My dog will be happy. It's a comeback story. Yeah. We, we, we need everybody to be happy. A comeback story is great. Comeback stories are cool and tough. 
Kind of like, know, when, you, kinda like it, when you come back to Twitter.com after a little sabbatical. Yeah, we're getting close to the anniversary. We're getting close to the anniversary. My Game final thoughts on opening day. A wise man told me, can you be back if you never left? I'm hoping that we never left and we're back in the playoffs. That's all I've got for Socks on Tap. Steve... Close it down how you always do. I need more beer. White Sox for life. White Sox forever.